So the plan is to look at First Chronicles 28 uh, this week, and then we we'll might uh, divide up 29 into two sections and be done uh, by May. We'll also um, have a couple weeks until June that we'll have a, a topic uh, that we may cover, take a break from Chronicles for a couple weeks. First Chronicles 28. It's going to sound like First Chronicles 22. And so this may be uh, two, and you'll see verse one of First Chronicles 28, that David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the officials of the tribes, the officers of the divisions um, that served the king, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, just the commanders of hundreds. If he has a million men in his army, uh, there are 10,000 hundreds in that. So if he's got commanders of hundreds, he's got 10,000 commanders of hundreds. If he's got a million man army, and he had more than that because they stopped counting um, past a million. So he's got quite the crew here. He's got thousands and thousands of leaders here, uh, stewards of all the property. You can read the end of chapter 27. Um, chapter 27, you'll see the stewards that were in charge and livestock of the king. And it sounds like here his sons. So the king's sons are here to listen to what the king says to all of them, together with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the seasoned warriors. So David uh, stands and gives this address down to verse uh, 8 to them. And then it sounds like Solomon is going to have um, the directive of He's going to direct his comments to Solomon in 9 to the end of the chapter, but he's going to let all of the rest of these people hear what he says to them and then what he says to Solomon so that they can follow up and we'll see why uh, in, in a few minutes. So starting with a thought today, fads come and go. That's what fads are. I Hopefully um, you haven't kept any of your bell bottoms uh or any other clothes that you show your kids and they say i would never i would never wear that just keep no company if you there's other there's other fads in construction like orange shag rug or wood paneling avocado fixtures okay um some things might never come back. <laughs> and the, they were a fad. Everybody wanted it. Everybody had it in their house. And now nobody wants it. And they try to take it out and, and um, update. You wouldn't find any kids today, teenagers, who would want a flip phone. Or better yet, a phone in a bag, if you remember those. Um, our kids and grandkids do not want to inherit our clothes. Uh, my ties or our technology um, they may not want your god either but god is not a fad uh, and our world satan the prince of the power of the air may fool a lot of people into thinking christianity uh, god a relationship with god is just a fad and you need to get over it because you don't want your parents god or your grandparents, God. When it comes to our money, our kids may want to inherit our money, and given a choice between our money and our God, which is more valuable? Mm -hmm. 
which do we want them to love and seek? Which do we want them to desire with their whole heart and a willing mind? Which we'll see today. Which will satisfy their soul? Which will be most beneficial to them long term? Well, we know the answer is not money. And Christ says, you can't serve God and money. You can only serve one or the other. So what we're going to see today is a reiteration of what we saw in chapter 22, but now with probably more of an audience here, and still the focus is on uh, the supporting leaders and then and then Solomon. So what we're going to uh, point out here uh, in verse 2, that the king, uh, David, rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house for the rest of the Ark of the uh, Covenant, uh, of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparation for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Now, this is the third time we've heard this language that Chronicles has recorded for us. Verse four, yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as leader, and in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, and he's talking to them right now, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, this is the Lord saying to David, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. And then establishing his kingdom. Skip down to uh, verse 10. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you, he's talking to Solomon, to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. You saw a verb there. Now, maybe you just didn't, it didn't stick yet in the first reading. But there is a verb that's mentioned over and over again in these verses. Verse uh four twice verse five um, verse six and then verse 10 and it's the word chosen. chosen so what do we learn from this well the whole theme of this chapter is going to be obeying and seeking out all of the lord's commands but to the foundation of that obeying and seeking out God, God's command is to understand something first. We have to understand that God who knows all things chooses. Now, there are three chapters of Romans that we're going to get into, and we call it election, but God choosing. God chose Jacob and not Esau. God chose to harden Pharaoh's heart. And God can choose who he wills, and he doesn't give us he doesn't give us the right to veto his choice um and nor does he ask us advice because he doesn't need advice he knows all things but god chooses who he wills when he wills for them and we know uh judah he's mentioned is the fourth of uh the line of um jacob reuben simeon levi are all older than judah and judah is the leader that's chosen. And then David, youngest of many sons, Solomon has many uh, brothers older than him. 
And so Judah, David, and Solomon are all chosen by the Lord. It's very clear in the Old Testament that Judah was chosen from Genesis 49 on. We're expecting a king to come from Judah's line. And then when David gets the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles 17, it's pretty clear to David that it, David's the one who is going to have the Messiah come through his line. And Solomon is the one who is going to fulfill that Davidic uh, covenant and going to build uh, the temple. And so uh, all of the people from the commanders of the armies, commanders of hundreds so those commanders and the commanders of thousands are going to go back to their troops and say, this is what our king said. Judah was chosen. David was chosen. Solomon was chosen. He's our king. But how about the older brothers? Everyone is going to ask. It doesn't matter <laughs> age in God's kingdom. What matters is who is going to follow God with their whole heart. And the other brothers Obviously, I don't think they were early, not inclined as Solomon was. Even in this, in his young age as a teenager, uh, he had made choices uh, to head in the direction of uh, knowing and loving God. So uh, look at verse, we skipped uh, verse 7 and 8. I will establish his kingdom forever if he continues strong in keeping my commandments and my rules as he is today. So Solomon, at, at this point uh, in, in history, was obeying God's commandments and his rules and strong in that. Verse 8, now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God. So here is man and God together. And uh, God has already talked to David, and David is now communicating to the people. In the, in the hearing of God, God is our witness. He says to the people here, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you. So um, understanding God's choosing is the foundation and submitting to God's choosing. There are sons of David who want to be king. Absalom has tried to be king and died. Um, and then we have Adonijah coming up and he's going to want to be king and he's going to die uh there are there are sons who want to be king because they're older and in the rightful line no this is not how the kingdom works god has chosen and his choose uh, his choice is final and so you have to submit to god's choosing that's verses one to seven now we have people today as we look at the new testament in ephesians one and that God chose us before the foundation of the world. That blows our minds when we think of God chose us before he created anything, mm -hmm. <laughs> that we should be live before him blameless and holy lives. And so God choosing us, and we say, well, why doesn't God choose everybody? If I was God, I no, if you were God, you do the same thing. But you're not God. You don't have all the wisdom of God and God's wisdom in choosing so I would have the I would I would think this I would have the broad way that leads to life and the narrow way leads to death, right? Doesn't that make sense? Like we want more people to be saved and less people to go to hell, right? But God has it opposite, and we're like, God, why don't you choose more people? <laughs> we don't get to choose people. Now we pray for the lost every every um, 
time we have prayer meeting, but we don't know if God's cho chosen them. But everyone who God chooses, they're going to come to Christ. We have learned that from John 6 just recently in our uh, Sunday morning study. So we have to understand and submit to God choosing. This is the foundation of obedience and seeking uh, to obey God and serve him. We have to understand God's choice of where we're at, when we were born, all the things that we did not choose, God chose. And this is the foundation of us following him. Now, obeying commands do not come natural. So the two things that he's going to tell us, the leaders here in verse 8, are not going to come natural because that's why he has to give us commands. Observe or obey. Does obedience come naturally? <laughs> it doesn't come naturally to any of us. It doesn't come natural in the nursery, watching toddlers. Disobedience comes naturally, and we have to be told to obey. So what God tells us throughout Scripture is that comm commands are because what we naturally want to do is the opposite. So as we study God's word, when we see something that we're supposed to do, love your enemies, what's natural? Hate your enemies, right? So we're told to love them. And all the rest of the commands of scripture, we have to have those commands because we don't naturally do them. So all of the leaders of Israel here gathered together, uh, David says, in the hearing of God, I want you to obey or observe all the commandments of the Lord, and I want you to seek them out. Now, is it natural for us to want to seek out what the laws are? Or we think, eh, I would just rather disobey the law and then and uh, and claim ignorance. Well, that doesn't work. You have to you have to know the law. And when God gives us all of his commands right here, he says, you cannot be ignorant of this. You can't play play the ignorance card. It's not going to work. So obeying commands does not come natural and seeking out commands also does not come natural but all of the supporting leaders here on their mission is to obey and seek out the lord's commands and it says here there's a promise here god gives a promise if the israelites would have done this in the old testament what would have been their their um uh, legacy their their destiny it would have been the end of verse 8 that you may possess this good land and leave it for an inheritance to your children after you forever. Like every generation needs to observe and seek out. It doesn't matter if you're not the king, you're a supporting role, you're a leader here, and you're going to help everyone under your command. So there are hundred leaders of hundreds, and they go back to their army, and the hundred guys, the, the 99 guys that aren't there, they, they hear from... Uh, from their leader, what David said, hey, it's our job to observe and seek out all that, all the commandments of the Lord. And so now all of Israel has been communicated with, everybody knows, millions of all the army, all the officials, all the sons, all the royal house, everybody is here hearing this. And all the palace officials, everybody ha has no excuse uh, for an uh, for not understanding uh, what is what is clear. All right, now we have the charge to Solomon. And you, Solomon, my son, he's going to give a, a, a little more, a sharper uh, point to this because he's the leader. Know the God of your father. He doesn't say the, your God here. He says the God of your father father 
this word no is just by experience. If you if you wanted your brakes changed in your car, you wouldn't ask me to do it because I don't know how to do it. But if we went to Phil or Dave or other guys here that know, you know how they know? Because they've done it and they've done it and they've done it. They know they know how to do it by experience. Uh, they know how it works. They know what, what are the pitfalls. I mean, they know... They have they have knowledge based on experience and interaction, and I don't. So I don't change brakes. I ask Phil to do it for me or, or someone else. So here, God is telling Solomon uh, through David, "I want you to know the God of your father." How did David know God? He spent time with him. He spent time understanding the first five books of the Bible, for sure. He spent time in the history books, understanding Israel's history in Judges and Joshua. He understood as much as he could, probably from Ruth's story, because Ruth is one of his relatives. Uh, he understood uh, King Saul before him. And then he has other songwriters. Moses wrote a couple of songs. Um, other guys around David are writing songs. Asaph is writing songs. And then David, obviously knows God, and we can tell he knows God because of how he writes 73 uh, psalms. He knows God. So Solomon has an example to follow in his father David of knowing God. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming that David taught his boys how to know God, but yet most of them, give me the money, Dad, like the prodigal son. You can keep God. I want the money. I want the possessions. I want the nobility. I want the, the the ease or the luxury of living in a palace. But you can keep the commands of God. Uh, we don't need that, Dad. Well, if you're going to be king, you got to know the commands because you have to enforce this. And no, I, we don't care, Dad. And how many of the sons are probably like that. And Solomon is like, okay, Dad, what do I have to read? What do I have to know? And he shows them uh, God's commands. And you read through uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It's not easy reading. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, truth and a lot of commands in there uh, that would be hard to get through. And yet Solomon is told to know the God of your father. And when you know him, you serve him. How do you serve him? Well, it tells us here, serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. This word whole is uh, elsewhere translated full or complete. So there's no other person, no other thing that you're serving except for the Lord. Your heart is fully devoted, completely dedicated to serving the Lord because you know him, you've experienced him. And then with a willing mind. Willing there is the word desire or even has the idea of delighting. Whatever you delight in, you do. Mm -hmm. I just find it simple. If you delight in your grandkids, when, as soon as they call you, man, you're picking up the phone. Hey, mm -hmm. uh, they want to get together. Sure. Um, let's do it. Um, if you delight in, in people, you spend time with those people. If you don't delight in them, eh, it's hard. It's hard to spend time with them, right? <laughs> so it is with God. If you and I don't delight in God with our mind, it will be hard for us to know him and experience him 
it's also going to be hard for us to serve him because we have to do it out of duty and we don't really want to do it. So we have to do it. And you and I have probably had helpers that helped us that they weren't willing. They were forced. Oh, dad, do I have to do that? And they didn't want to do it. And it was like pulling teeth. It was like, come on, I'll get you something nice. I'll bribe you uh, to try to get you to, to help me. But I need help. I can't. This is too big of a job. But what is it with, with God if we serve him with an unwilling mind? God, I don't really want to read your word today. I don't really want to pray. I don't really want to witness. I don't really want to love people around me. I don't really want to fill in the blank. All the commands that we know. When we don't do it with a willing mind, God is not pleased. So David is telling Solomon, you're my son. You need to know the God of your father as I knew him. And I want you to serve him. God wants you to serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. And here's some motivation. Okay, so there was motivation at the end of verse 8. Now here's some motivation for you, Solomon. Theology, good theology, what you know to be true about God. Good theology is so motivational. Here it is. The Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. <laughs> all right. Serve the Lord with all your whole heart and with a willing, delightful um, mind. And if you aren't, the Lord is going to search. He searches all hearts and understands Every plan, he understands every thought. He knows if you have a delighting, willing mind or not. You can't fool God. You might be able to fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. So, knowing the God of your father, make him your God by experience and knowledge. Then serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. And then, uh, verse. Uh, see the warnings here promises really at the end of verse nine mm -hmm. if you seek him he will be found by you mm -hmm. god is not going to play hide and seek with you and keep mm -hmm. moving at, to the places that you've already checked he's not going to do that god is not trying to trick us into always moving the goalpost or moving the carrot that's attached to us we can never be satisfied with god oh no if you will know god and serve him with a willing a whole heart and a willing mind you will find that he fully satisfies your soul and you'll understand him it says here if you seek him he will be found by you david knows this by experience mm -hmm. if you forsake him though he will cast you off forever <laughs> we can watch the next generations spend hours and hours and hours of time entertaining themselves, delighting in pleasures of all kinds and forsaking God. And they can watch our lives and do they see that about us? This is how mom and dad spend their time. They give us devices so that they can go on their own devices and they can watch what they want to watch and we can watch what we want to watch and no one has to watch anything that they don't want to watch. And this is where we're going as a culture. And we have to be very aware of not forsaking God. And seeking God requires work. 
forsaking him is easy because the world's forsaking God and telling us to forsake them with them. And we're saying, oh, no way. We can't forsake him. We can't forsake his law. We can't be ignorant of his, of how he operates. We have to experience God. We have to know him. We have to serve him. And yet it says here, be careful. So the warnings and the promises of seeking him, he'll be found by you and then forsaking him and he will cast you off forever. When he says in verse 10, be careful now, he's like, well, obviously I got to be careful because we don't want God to cast us off forever. If you compare this to Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, you will see a lot of parallels between these warnings and these um, admonitions uh, with Psalm 1 and 2. Think about, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. That word delight is the same word with a willing mind. And then you'll see the wicked are not so. It's like the, the, the righteous are like the tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth fruit, but the wicked are not so. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. Wind driving away, casting off forever, that sounds similar. And um, Psalm 2 talks about um, the nations of the earth that should come and worship the Lord and his anointed, or they want to try to cast off God, and they want to be their own gods. And at the end of Psalm 2, it says, you better kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. So you better worship the Lord and his anointed, which is Jesus in Psalm 2. And those two Psalms set up the rest of the Psalter to focus people's attention on worshiping God. And this, what David's doing here, is something very similar uh, to for Solomon personally and publicly with everyone here listening uh, to it. What Solomon has at his disposal uh, he, we have to know finally uh, to know the Lord, the God of your, your father, to serve him with a whole heart, and then know your allies. We're not going to go into all the details of the allies, but David has set up Solomon to succeed. We have seen the financial prosperity that David had, that he set Solomon up with so much wealth. He sets him up with so many wise people around him and uh, a plan so what David does here in verse 11, David gave Solomon, his son, the plan of the vestibule of the temple. So David had this all in writing. And where does he get this writing? Let's skip down to verse 18. The end of verse 18, all of the altar of incense, everything was to be covered, uh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, um, all of that in verse 18, verse 19, all this... He, that's God, made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord all the work to be done according to the plan. So God gave Moses the plan in the end of Exodus, and God's Spirit enabled the men who crafted the tabernacle to do it exactly how God wanted. They followed Moses' plan. You can read that at the end of Exodus, the last couple of chapters. Here, David says, I have this plan. And if you're Solomon and the rest of the leaders, like, well, yeah, you just came up with this on your own, right? Right, Dad? No, actually, I got this from the hand of the Lord. If the Lord gave me this plan, then this is how you need to do it, okay? And he has it in writing. I don't know if it was a scroll, several scrolls. 
And all Solomon has to do now is open the scrolls, follow the plan. He's got all these people. He's got all these resources and just put all the pieces together, like following the box on a complicated puzzle. So he's got it in writing. So his first ally, Solomon's ally, is a written plan, the word of God. What do we have to help us to help the next generation is we have the written plan. We have the word of God. We're not making this up. We, we know human nature. We know what we're prone to do. We know we need God's commands. We know we have to know him and serve him. We, have, we cannot be ignorant of this book. And so we have to know God and we have to tell the next generation, here is a God worth knowing. If you will seek him, you will find him every single time. So you open your Bible and you seek God. But if you forsake this book, he's going to cast you off. He doesn't need more people to forsake him. The world has forsaken God. No, no. As God's people, we can't forsake him. So know your allies. The first ally that we have that Solomon had was God's word. The second, verse 20. Then David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, the covenant keeping God of which we have seen his work all throughout this book of Chronicles. This God is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. So what, are, what is the second ally here? He's got God's written word, and now he has what? God's presence. We have God's presence in us today. The Holy Spirit is in us. And he's going to remind us of God's word that we have before us. We have God's word, uh, God's uh, truth and his spirit in us. And we have his word before us. And we have allies, the same allies that Solomon had, we have. This is 3,000 years later. This is timeless. This is worth passing on to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, that they would know the God that you knew, that Solomon knew, that David knew, that Abraham knew, that Adam knew. It's a God worth knowing and a God worth serving. The word of God is our ally. The presence of God is our ally. And then verse 21. And behold, the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God and with you in all the work will be every willing man who has skill, a lot of skilled people for any kind of service. Also, the officers and all the people will be holy at your command. <laughs> Solomon, you have allies here. You have the word, the written word. You have God's presence with you. And you have all these skilled people around you. Do we have that today? Mm -hmm. We have the church. We have a local church where we gather as God's people. As we heard Sunday. And we're reminded of every week that we need the church. Online church is not good enough. It's temporary. It is not God's plan. We're never going to be co completely online. We need God's people. We have God's word in front of us. We have God's presence in us. And we have God's people around us. And they are to provoke us to love and good works, as we saw. We have the same allies of the Old Testament King Solomon. 
and we are building a kingdom, Christ's kingdom on earth, where all authority has been given to Christ, as we have seen in um, the parallels to First Chronicles 22, was it, and the Great Commission, that God wants us to use his word, know his presence, and walk with him, and encourage the people of God around us to stay strong, to keep doing what God wants us to do so that Christ receives the most glory.